I invite you to please rise with me for the call of worship. The call to worship this morning is from Psalm 111, verses 1 through 3. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in him. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, how wonderful you are. How gracious, how loving, steadfast, and faithful you are. Well, Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the way, the truth, and the life. Well, Father, we pray that in the power of the Holy Spirit that you would continue to grow us, guide us, guard us in the faith to give you all glory. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I invite you to sing with me number 305, Lo, How a Rose Air Blooming, 305.
For a time of confession and pardon, I'll be reading from Isaiah 59. I'll first be reading Isaiah 59, verses 14 and 15, leading us in a prayer of confession, then continuing on to read Isaiah 59, verses 16 through 17. Isaiah 59, starting at verse 14. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are holy, holy, holy. All majestic is your name to be praised. All sovereign, all knowing, all powerful. How glorious you are. Everything that has been made, you have made it, speaking it into existence through your Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, Father, we praise your name. And we lift up your Son, Jesus Christ, as King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, Father, we pray that in the power of the Holy Spirit that you would continue to convict us of sins, to humble us before you, that we would acknowledge that apart from you, the work of your Son, the power of the Holy Spirit, we are completely, absolutely helpless and hopeless. Well, Father, we are dependent on your sheer grace, your mercy, the gift of forgiveness in your Son through his atoning work on the cross. So, Father, we pray again that that you would humble us and that we would take this time to repent and confess to you those sins of thought, word, and action. We confess these to you now in our hearts and in our minds.
Isaiah 59, verse 16. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Oh, Father, how amazing is your grace, mercy, and love that when there was no way that we could save ourselves, you make a way. Oh, Father, we pray that as you sent your Son to die for your elect of every tribe, nation, language, and people, that you would continue to sanctify us in the power of the Holy Spirit and that you would grow us up in the likeness of your Son. Oh, Father, we thank you that for those whom you have brought to repentance and faith, that there is complete and absolute pardon and forgiveness of sin. How glorious and how wonderful is the truth of salvation in your Son, Jesus Christ. In Christ's glorious name, amen. For our time of confession of faith, we're looking at Lord's Day 23, question answer 59. This is the summation of our going through these key points of the Apostles' Creed and the reality of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is the summarizing statement concerning that faith and commitment in these biblical truths. I'll ask the question, and I invite you to respond with me with the answer. How does it help you now that you believe all this? That I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir, life everlasting. That's the glorious truth of what it means to repent and believe that on the cross, Jesus Christ has died for your sins, that he has satisfied the wrath of God on your behalf so that you are made righteous as he is righteous. This is the glorious truth of the gospel, that we who are under just condemnation and wrath could know God's forgiveness, could know his love, and can have eternal life. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, you are wonderful. You are glorious. Every good and perfect gift comes down from you, from above. Every form of truth, wisdom, Love, life, joy, peace, goodness, righteousness belongs to you and are only found in you, in your Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd continue to grow us, that you'd continue to take us by the hand, to lead us and guide us ever closer to you. Oh, Father, we thank you that 
you promise. You promise that for those who have died with your son through the gifts of repentance and faith, that we have been crucified with him, that we have been raised to new life, and at his glorious return, we will be raised with new glorious resurrection bodies. Oh, Father, how we long for the return of your son, the glorious fulfillment of all things. Oh, Father, how we long for the new heaven and new earth where your son reigns as king of kings and lord of lords, where there is no more sorrow, no sin, no pain, no suffering, no darkness, that all is enveloped in your perfect light. No sun, moon, or stars, but you are the light. Your son is the lamp. And that we would dwell with you forever. Oh, Father, how we long for the return of your son. How we long for the glorious truth of your kingdom come. Oh, Father, until then, we pray that you would strengthen us and guide us. That you'd fix our eyes on your son, Jesus Christ, and on things above. Remind us, O Lord, that our citizenship is in heaven and not on this earth. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us. Help us to pick up our cross and to follow you, to follow the way of your son, who so humbled himself, who gave of himself completely so that we could have life. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd strengthen us. We pray that you'd strengthen your body here, the body of your son, Jesus Christ, your family, your adopted children. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us to truly love one another, to care for one another, to forgive one another, to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs over one another, to build each other up, to spur each other on, to stir each other up to faith and good works. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us to so encourage one another, to correct, rebuke, exhort one another with patience and love. Oh, Father, that we would be the body with your Son, Jesus Christ, as the head. Father, we pray that you would help us to be ministers of reconciliation, to lift high the gospel, that the glorious gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, crucified an atonement for sin, that this would be ever in our thoughts, in our words, that we would live according to this glorious truth, that Christ is our lives. Well, Father, we pray that you would help us to lose our life of this fallen world, that we may gain it eternally, to trust and obey your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we thank you for your ongoing grace, mercy, and love. Father, we thank you that you continue to discipline us. That you continue to grow us. That we may live more and more according to the Holy Spirit. And less and less according to our old fallen flesh. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd grow us in the fruit of the Spirit. Help us, O oh Lord, to display your Son, Jesus Christ, within our marriages. Within our families. Wherever you take us throughout our lives, O oh Lord, that your Son would be high and lifted up. 
Oh, Father, we do pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world, facing tremendous persecution and opposition in underground churches, in prison for the faith, tortured, facing martyrdom. Oh, Father, that you would be their strength, their comfort, and their hope. Remind them, O oh Lord, that the darkness will never overcome the light. Father, we do continue to pray for Reverend Corse. We pray that you continue to strengthen that congregation. Be with him and his family, O oh Lord, as they shine the light of your gospel in the midst of the darkness throughout Bucharest, Romania, and the surrounding region. O oh Lord, that you would continue to shine your light. Father, we pray that you would just continue to lead us and guide us ever closer to you. Father, we are weak, but you are strong. Father, we want to lift up to you those families facing challenges and difficulties this time of year. O oh Lord, that you would be their peace, their comfort, and strength. Father, we pray for those who are in a time of grief. O oh Lord, that you would be their joy and peace. Father, we continue to pray for those who are in a time of needing of healing and strength. Oh, Father, we pray that you would be their comfort and their strength. Father, we continue to pray for Willie, for continued healing for him. Father, we pray for Ruth's mother, Barbara. Oh, Lord, in the midst of her cancer and weakening condition, we pray, oh, Lord, that you would be her strength and her peace. Oh, Father, we do continue to pray for Arlette. Oh, Lord, that she would know the light, the truth the joy of the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, crucified. Father, we pray for her in this transition back to this area, that you would just strengthen and guide Chuck and Lola and the whole family, that they could lift high the gospel. Father, we pray all for your glory and your purposes. And Father, how we do cry out for the lost. Oh Lord, only you can bring them from death to life. Father, we pray that you would use us to lift high the gospel. We pray for opportunities these coming days with family and friends to lift up your gospel, to reach out in patience and love and in boldness with the glorious truth of your son, Jesus Christ, crucified. So, Father, it is because of your faithfulness and your steadfast love that we say the prayer that our Savior taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For our passage of Scripture, I invite you to please rise and read with me. This morning we're looking at Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. 
I invite you to read this with me, Hosea chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bonds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend, and let none accuse. For with you is my contention, O priests. You shall stumble by day. The prophet also shall stumble with you by night. And I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, breathed out by you. Your word, O oh Lord, is all authoritative, all sufficient, inerrant and infallible. We are absolutely dependent on you, that the, your son would be exalted. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe and minds to understand and discern the glorious truth of your word. Well, Father, we pray that you would grow us in the truth, for it is only in the truth of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we have any freedom. In Christ's glorious name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I'd like to invite any children who'd like to come up for the children's message at this time. Well, good morning. Do any of you have gifts that are wrapped and ready for you? Yeah, you see, you have some. Yeah. Have you tried to tell what they are already? You do that? No, oh, very well, very disciplined. You don't do that? I always do that. I always pick them up and shake them and weigh them. And as I get, I always tried to figure out what they were before, before I open them. So I, I commend your self-control. That's very good. So how do you gauge whether the gift is good or not? How do you, when you open it up, what? What do you, uh, what, how do you know if the gift was good? How do you know that? Yeah, how do you know? 
Okay, if it's something you wanted, something you desired. Okay. Also, that, that your parents were so loving that they got it for you. Isn't that powerful? Yeah, so even if it's something you may not want. <laughs> so, so there's different ways we gauge whether a gift is good. Well, what's powerful about this passage that we're looking at this morning, Hosea 4, is it makes clear that because of sin, because of the fall, there's nothing good in and of us. We have nothing good. So the only good that we can have is what is given to us by God. And the greatest gift that scripture talks about is the gift of Jesus Christ. The gift of forgiveness of sins through his death on the cross. The gift of God's love in his son. So I just pray that, that as you open your gifts, do you think you got at least one gift? At least one gift? A couple. Good job. Yeah, so at least Gabe got a couple. So however many gifts you got... I want you to think about the greatest and most important gift you could ever receive. It's Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that you give the greatest gift, which is your son. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us as we open gifts these next few days to consider the greatest thing we could ever have is your love and forgiveness in your Son, Jesus Christ. Well, Father, we pray that you would help us to believe and to trust in your Son, Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You guys head back to your seats. We find ourselves continuing working our way through Hosea. Some may find this a bit of an interesting choice for Advent. Hosea is one of the great opportunities to see how dark things are because of sin. Hosea is a wonderful opportunity to see how lost we are, how broken, how sinful, and how in and of ourselves we are completely, absolutely without hope in our strength, in our wisdom, that there's nothing, no one of this heaven and earth who can do anything for us apart from God. That God is the only one. That unless the Father loves, unless the Son dies for, unless the Holy Spirit brings from darkness to light, from death to life, we are in a helpless, hopeless state. And that's what Hosea, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does for us. It shows us the reality of darkness. It shows us, again, what it means that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And what it means that God would, in his grace, in his mercy, in his love, give us the gift of salvation. Something we could not and would not earn or desire 
unless God made us alive to it. So here we see another powerful passage about this, and it's Hosea chapter 4. And what Hosea is doing here is he's saying, the priests, the prophets, the princes, the kings, the people of this earth, even of the nation of Israel, even of Israel to the north, and even Judah to the south, that all these people have fallen short of the glory of God. That there is no one righteous, no, not one, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 3. So that's what we're seeing laid out for us here. So again, Hosea chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. That's the devastating reality. No knowledge of God in the land. And what's so devastating about that is God, again, is the source of love, truth, holiness, righteousness, all that is good, all that brings joy, all that brings peace. So if there's no knowledge of God, there there is no love. There is no life. There is no joy. There is no peace. That's what Hosea is establishing here. It's, It's this powerful reality of that. Again, you see that emphasized in verse 6 of Hosea 4. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. For lack of knowledge. For knowing the word of God, the law of God, the glorious truth of the gospel. The lack of knowing God. So again, Hosea 4 verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. What Hosea is doing is taking us back to the beginning of these 10 tribes of Israel to the north. So to take us back there, it's 1 Kings chapter 12. This is where Hosea is taking us. How can things get to this state? Well, when this is the beginning. So here is how this begins. It's 1 Kings chapter 12, starting at verse 25. Remember, there was the son of Solomon, Rehoboam. And God said that he was, because of judgment, because of Rehoboam's wickedness, and also the idolatry and immorality of Solomon, that God was going to take 10 of the 12 tribes away from Rehoboam. And he would give those to Jeroboam, is going to take those. So you're going to have this division between the 10 tribes of the north, which will be called Israel, and the two tribes of the south, which will be called Judah, the area of Judah and Jerusalem. So 1 Kings chapter 12 captures this reality, and Jeroboam is afraid. And he's afraid because even though he has control over these 10 tribes of the north, The problem is there is one place of worship, and it's in Jerusalem. There's the temple, 
And there's the Levitical priesthood, and there's the sacrifices. So, so all the ways that God has prescribed that he has given to worship them are in Jerusalem. And as long as his people, their hearts, their minds are drawn to Jerusalem to worship the one true God as he prescribed to be worshipped, as he commanded, their hearts will always be divided between him and Jerusalem, between Jeroboam and Rehoboam. So Jeroboam saw that as a problem. So 1 Kings chapter 12 Starting at verse 25, this is how Jeroboam seeks to solve what he perceived as his major problem. So verse 25, then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, see what happens when you follow your heart? That's literally what the scripture is describing. This is what happens when we follow our own hearts. So verse 26, and Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. And if this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their God, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods. That's the moment. Behold your gods. The golden calf has been in the hearts and minds of these people since they were first released from Egyptian bondage. This isn't the first golden calf. Remember the one that Aaron fashioned for them because Moses tarried too long up on the mountain? And they cried out to Aaron, make for us a golden calf that we can worship it. Well, this is Jeroboam just giving what the flesh desired. So this is what takes place. So again, verse 28 So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Just going right back to that original idolatry, that first idol out of Egypt. Verse 29, and he set one in Bethel. And the other he put in Dan. Very pragmatic. He spreads them out so that people can get to the closest one or the other. Very very wise with the ways of this world. Very pragmatic. Verse 30, then this thing became a sin for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on high places an appointed priest from among all the people who were not of the Levites. So he comes up with his own idols, his own gods, and now he creates his own temples, his own rituals, his own ways to worship, and he creates priests just according to his own desire to meet his needs. 
Verse 32, And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, and he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made. And he placed in Bethel the priest of the high places that he had made. He went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the 15th day in the eighth month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart. Not from God, not from God's word, not from the truth of God, but from his own heart. His own sinful, corrupted heart. And he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings. So that's the beginning of the ten tribes of the north, of Israel under Jeroboam. That's how it began. So it should not surprise us that once we come to the time of Hosea the prophet, due to the rampant idolatry and lack of knowledge of God, of his word, of his law, that it would produce rampant immorality. So that's our next verse of Hosea 4. So Hosea chapter 4, verse 2. Out of that idolatry comes immorality. Hosea chapter 4, verse 2. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bonds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. That's what happens when there's no knowledge of God, destruction. When there's no knowledge of God, death. The wages of sin is death. And that's what's being laid out for us. And not only does that fall affect those who have rebelled and turned away from God, but it affects the entire creative order. That's verse three. Therefore, the land mourns. And all who dwell in it languish. And also the beast of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. This is the depiction that the Apostle Paul describes in Romans 8, where he says, all of creation groans because of the wickedness and sin and the fall of God's rebellious people. And that's what we see Hosea depicting for us here. Idolatry leads to immorality, leads to death and destruction and darkness. That is what takes place when there's no knowledge of God. We see where Hosea places his focus of the reason for this. And we saw the beginning with Jeroboam, but now the focus of Hosea for the sin is on the priests and on the prophets because the priests and the prophets were the ones who were supposed to mediate between God and the people and instruct the people in the ways of the Lord. But as we saw in what happened with Jeroboam, the prophets and the priests were corrupt and following idols. So because of that, you see this devastating reality starting in Hosea 4, verse 4. Hosea 4, verse 4. 
Yet let no one contend and let none accuse, for with you is my contention, O priests. You shall stumble by day, the prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. And now you have this devastating statement in verse 6. And we are given two reasons why God is bringing his judgment ultimately against the ten tribes of Israel of the north. Number one, they rejected knowledge. Number two, they've forgotten the law. These are the two reasons given. That's verse six. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you, he's speaking of the priests and the prophets there, you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. We see this. There's a direct parallel passage to this, and it's in Jeremiah 6 and Jeremiah 23. If we go to the prophet Jeremiah, where Hosea's prophecy is mainly focused on Israel to the north, we see Jeremiah, his focus is mainly to Judah and Jerusalem, but he speaks also of the same reality that Hosea is speaking of concerning the tribes of the north. First Jeremiah 6, starting at verse 13. This is what it looks like when they have forgotten the law and when they have rejected the knowledge of God and his truth. This is what happens this is what fills the void. It's Jeremiah 6, verse 13. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people, lightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. And they did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall at the time that I punish them. They shall be overthrown, says the Lord. So what it looks like when you've forgotten the law and when you have rejected the knowledge of God, you give people false comfort, false security. Ultimately, what you tell people is they can follow their own hearts and still be loved by God. Still have all the promises of the goodness of God. They continue in the stubbornness of their wicked hearts, and they're right with God. That's the basis of what it looks like to reject knowledge and forget the law. We see Jeremiah speaks of this again in chapter 23. In chapter 23, gives us more detail of, again, of what this looks like and what has taken place, not only in Israel to the north, but also Jerusalem and Judea to the south. It's Jeremiah 23, starting at verse 11. Jeremiah 23, verse 11. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Therefore their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness. 
into which they shall be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. Verse 13, in the prophets of Samaria. So here's the focus of Hosea in chapter 4. Jeremiah 23, verse 13, in the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. What they've done is remove any teaching or necessity of true, sincere repentance and contrition over sin. What they've done is lift up a form of the gospel, of a form of God's truth that is void of the holiness of God, of the just wrath of God, of condemnation because of sin. They, they just remove the results and reality of sin. So it's a gospel void of a real need of a savior. That's what's taken place. That's what's being described for us here. That's why it says in verse 15, all of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Verse 16, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesied to you, filling you with vain hopes. And what's the vainest hope? You can live according to the desires of your heart. You can live according to your fallen flesh. You can live according to the ways of this corrupt world. You can even live according to the lies of the devil. And you're still right with God. That's the vainest hope that could ever be put forward. And that's what the prophets were putting forward. Again and again and again and again. And ultimately, what does it, what's the indictment at the end of verse 16? They speak visions of their own my, minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They're just making this stuff up according to their own corrupt hearts and minds. Verse 17, they say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. That's it. Follow your hearts. Like Jeroboam followed his heart. Just do what makes you happy. Doesn't that sound like the world? Doesn't that sound like the devil? Well, it is, but this was the prophets and the priests and the princes and the kings leading these people, the people of God, and they're leading them straight to condemnation, the wages of sin is death, and the torments of hell. That's where they're leading the people. That's the devastating reality that Hosea and Jeremiah is crying out. So that's why during our time of prayer and confession, I read Isaiah 59. I just want to read this again because I think Isaiah 59 verses 14 and 17 is one of the most vital passages you can know in the Old Testament. It's just because 
what Isaiah 59 verses 14 through 17 do is they show you how dark it is without God, how helpless and hopeless it is without God. And it gives us our only hope. So again, Isaiah 59, starting at verse 14. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Wow, doesn't that sound like our dominant culture and world around us? Yeah, because because every generation is a perverse and crooked generation of this fallen world. That's just the reality that we have before us. Verse 15 of Isaiah 59, truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. And just you just pause there. And you realize how helpless and hopeless we are apart from God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what is our only hope? It's the last half of verse 16. Again, verse 16, he saw, this is God looking, assessing his creation. He saw that there was no man, no one righteous, no, not one. No one obeyed his law. All have sinned and fall short of his glory. No one holy as he is holy. No one who could stand before him and be in a right relationship with him because of their sin. There was no one. No one. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede then. And again, you just pause after that word. And, you know, this could go either way. God would be holy and just and pure and good at that moment to bring a complete end to the creative order. Perfectly just, perfectly holy at that moment to make all that has been made cease to exist. But God does not do that. Because there was a decision made within the Godhead between the Father and the Son. And the Father said to the Son, I will give you a bride. And the Son says to the Father, I will die for that bride. And the Son says to the Father, I will give you children adopted. And the father says, I will give them to you. And the son says, I will die for those children. Because of this decision within the Godhead, between the father and the son, in the power of the Holy Spirit, it is because of that that you have what proceeds from then of verse 16. Ultimately, it's because of God and his name. It's because of a decision made within the Godhead that love, forgiveness, would be extended to the unlovable 
and the unforgivable apart from the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So again, verse 16, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. What no man could do, God is going to do himself. Verse 17, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So God will do the only thing that can save a unforgivable, unlovable, sinful, rebellious people is the Son, the eternally begotten Son of God, holy as God is holy, righteous as God is righteous, is going to take on human flesh, be born of the Virgin Mary, and he will live a perfect holy life. He will obey all of God's law perfectly. Not once will he sin. Not once will he turn to an idol. Not once will he fall into immorality. He will live a perfect holy life. And then on the cross, he will be forsaken. He will bear the penalty. So that those whom God will make alive through the gifts of repentance and faith, we could be forgiven. We can only be forgiven because Christ pays in full the wrath that we deserve. We can only be forgiven because Jesus pays the debt of our sin in full on the cross. That's what Isaiah 59 says. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. And that's the glorious beauty of Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 helps further reveal this mystery. How does God do this? Through his son. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 Here's this glorious prophecy concerning the birth of this righteous one, holy one, Savior. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, what that's describing is all authority, all power, all honor, the government, so all power over all powers and principalities, over every other order. And to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. He will lead and guide the people of God in what is true and what is right, unlike the false prophets. He will give them true comfort and true hope in the truth of his crucifixion and the truth of the gospel. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. He will not only be fully human, but fully God. Everlasting father, 
prince of peace. He's the one who will bring peace between the condemned to make them justified. Prince of peace. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This will happen because God will do this himself. That's why to God belongs all praise, all glory, all honor. We did nothing to save ourselves. We could do nothing. And that's the glorious reality. That's the purpose of why we in the church calendar highlight, lift up to remember the birth of Jesus Christ. Because without him, we have nothing but darkness, destruction, everlasting torment, and the darkness and wrath of God in hell. That's all that we would have. But with Christ, we have hope, we have joy, we have peace, we have love, we have life. Not because we did anything, but because God does it himself. Ultimately, Jesus is the prophet, he is the king, and Jesus is the priest. He's the fulfillment Unlike these wicked priests described in Hosea that did things for their personal gain, for their privilege at the expense of the people, Jesus, the high priest, comes and he dies. He gives his life for those whom he saves. Again, we see the contrast here in Hosea, Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4, starting at verse 7. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. This is the complete opposite of what was supposed to happen. Remember, God makes a people, and he says they were to be his people and spread his name and his glory to the ends of the earth. But because of their fall into sin, the more offspring, the more sin. Just sin, sin, sin. Every generation, sin, 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 just more sin. Sin upon sin upon sin upon sin. That's the state of affairs. Verse seven, the more they increase, the more they sin against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. So because their priests were so wicked and the people followed their wicked ways, they will be like the priest and face that same judgment. Well, just as that is the bad news, what's the good news? The good news is for those who would repent and believe in Christ, they will be like that, their high priest. And that's the promise of Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, again, in contrast to the corrupt, wicked priests and prophets and kings and princes of this earth, 
we see the glorious truth of the true eternal high priest, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 7, starting at verse 24. Hebrews 7, 24. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That's the glorious truth of the high priest, Jesus Christ. And how do you get him as your high priest? Because that's, you want him as your high priest, like priests, like the people. So how do you get Jesus Christ as your high priest? Well, the scripture makes it clear. We repent of our sins. We cry out to God that we sinned and fall short of his glory. All we deserve is his just condemnation and wrath. We, we have no righteousness. We have no holiness. We can't save ourselves. So you cry out, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you have faith that Jesus is that savior. He alone is the one who makes you right with God to repent and believe in him and he's your high priest. That's what it is. That's how you have Jesus as your high priest. And you live for him because he died for you. And he is your life. The end of Hosea, God speaks of turning the rebellious people's glory into shame. But the glorious truth of Jesus Christ is he takes our shame and he gives us his glory. What a promise. What a savior. Let us pray. Oh, Father. How amazing is the good news of salvation in your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we pray that as we go through this and this day and tomorrow, remembering the birth of your son to the Virgin Mary. Oh, Father, that you'd remind us what it means that he is our prophet to teach us and guide us your word. What it means that Jesus is our high priest to intercede for our behalf, that he also was the perfect sacrifice on the cross. Oh, Father, we pray that you would remind us that he is our King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, Father, we pray that you would fix our hearts, our minds, our eyes, our longing, our desire on the glorious return of your Son. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. I invite you to rise and sing with me number 319, O Come All Ye Faithful.
receive the benediction, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I invite you to close with me for our doxology. We're doing verse four of Joy to the World, number 299, 299, Joy to the World, verse four.
wonders of his love and wonders of his love.